Oh, thank you. Okay. So, testimony, impact. Testimony. It's, it's, it's basically giving a, a witness, giving a declaration, giving a, a, an idea of what's going on and, and, and your, your participation of, of your expounding of what you have seen, what you testify to. Then you look at the impact that that testimony can have, the way it influences people, either for the positive or for the negative. Case in point, Thursday night we had our leaders Bible study online. And I had, am I, sorry, Penny? Am I walking out of frame? That's fine. Okay. Oh, hey, I can see myself. Okay. So I know I can go this far. All right. So testimony. (laughs) Wow. So testimony. Brad did our Bible study on Thursday night. And it was really good. We looked at the Lord's Prayer, and the way Brad broke it down is he gave each person one particular verse to read, to meditate on, to study, and then share. And he gave us sort of three, uh, sorry, two questions, two questions to think about while we were actually doing that study of that Bible verse. Sort of like, what is, what is Jesus saying about prayer? What is, he, what is the, the sort of request looking at? And then how do we apply that to our lives? And, and how do we apply that to our prayer life? It was done very, very well. It was a great test. So I'm testifying to you of Brad's skills as a Bible study leader. His soothing voice, his calm demeanor, his unshaven beard. It looks really good and things. So he's attractive to the eye and to the ear when he leads a Bible study. That's really interesting. Cass, I see why you married him. So, so that's one. That I'm, I'm testifying. Sorry, I'm testifying. And now, what does the impact have on me and those around me? So, I testify to what Brad has been able to do. How does that then impact me and my attitudes or those around me? It's impacted me in the ways. Well, well, maybe I could look at discipling Brad. Maybe I can expose Brad to other avenues through which he can use his gifts to reach out to people and to disciple others. And, and maybe I can invest into his life and, and prayerfully see him mature to be a, a really godly man that could be here sharing the word or, or could be here going out, reaching out to others. Or, you know, that's the impact that it's had on me as I look at that. So that's the, the reality or the connection between testimony and impact. Last week, we looked at the testimony of John the Baptist when he declared the greatness of Jesus Christ by proclaiming, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The testimony of who Jesus is and the purpose that he was about. And as we continue, as we look at uh, this, this whole idea of the beauty of Jesus, don't worry, this is going to be our last sermon in John chapter 1. We finally reached the end of the chapter. But I pray that the beauty of who Jesus is has in some way impacted you. That has in some way changed your perception of who Jesus is from a distance, meaning that you see him, well, Jesus is Jesus who loved me, who died on the cross and rose again. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, and for a lot of us as Christians, we hold that reality at the distance and say, yes, I know that's who he is. Yes, I know that's what he has done. But the impact is limited to, well, but how does it make me look? 
How does it make me feel? What does it make me do? You see, the testimony of who Jesus is hasn't really sort of translated or, or you could say imposed itself upon us and the impact it has on our lives. And as we continue looking at the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of his testimony and the beauty of his impact, I pray that we'll be open to his spirit impacting us and challenging us in regards our connection and our walk with him. So let's pray and let's seek God together as we look at the beauty of our Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your testimony, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns on high as the preeminent sovereign Lord of all. And how you, in all your beauty and all your majesty, have invited us to be called your child, to be taken out of darkness and brought into your marvelous light. I ask this morning, as we read the scriptures, that it will be more than just information. Rather, it would be a revelation for each person here that you would stir our hearts with an excitement, with an enthusiasm, with a desire for more of you. I pray you might guide me this morning as I share your word. Father, may all eyes, may all attention, may all hearts be sensitive and directed to you for your glory and in your name. Amen. So if you look at John chapter 1, verse 32, we're going to start from there to 34. And this declaration of, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is continued at this particular part. And this is the testimony that John gives. Actually, the verse even starts in verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. Then God gave, sorry, then John gave this testimony. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now this text is specifically focusing on the baptism of Jesus Christ. It is an act that results in the approval of and the commission of God himself as God the Holy Spirit, as God the Father, acknowledge and recognize the value, the importance, the beauty of Jesus Christ. And it is done so in the face of everybody that is there. Remember, John is baptizing people. John is baptizing them with the baptism of repentance. People have come to him and asked him, what do we do to, to please God? Where, where do we stand? And, and people are asking John. Even John's disciples are there for answers. And so when Jesus shows up seeking to be baptized of John and this, the Spirit comes down upon him, everybody's there to see it. Everybody witnesses it. Now, in Matthew's account of this same event, we read the following. So it's right after John humbles himself before the Lord. And in verses, uh, chapter, in chapter 3, I'm going to start reading from verse 14, but it's verses 16 and 17 that will be up top there, okay? 
So starting from John, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 3, we read this, verse 14. John tried to deter him, meaning deter Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, then John consented, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want you to try and picture, I want you to try to imagine what this would have been like. That everybody was around who sees, they're there for John the Baptist, this guy approaches, John declares, this is who he is, John baptizes him, a spirit comes down upon him, a voice from the heavens say, this is my son, whom I love, I am well pleased with him. This is amazing, there are, there are witnesses testifying to the greatness and to the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. People wouldn't have known. The Scriptures teach that when He shows up, nobody would desire Him because He wasn't attractive to the eye. He didn't look like any big deal. But the fact that God Himself recognizes who He is. See, witnesses are required to confirm the happenings taking place. Uh, for example, in the case of capital punishment, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, I read this. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. It was on the testimony of two or three. That's in terms of capital punishment. Or even on the confirmation of truth. In John chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, I read this. In your own law, this is Jesus speaking, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. Verse 18, Jesus says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So at this baptism of Jesus that John is writing about here, that John the Baptist is talking about and testifies to, is a declaration that is made here by the triune God. That God the Spirit and God the Father make acknowledgement to God the Son in front of everybody here. It is the ultimate act of credibility. It's the ultimate act of credibility upon Jesus. It is where the wholeness of the Godhead is present to testify of the uniqueness, of the, of the, comment, of the commendation, of the authenticity or of the validity of Jesus' testimony, ministry, and authority. It is the, and, and I really like this because you have this. You have the declaration. Oh, I didn't actually put that up there. I'm sorry. You have the declaration of God's word through John the Baptist when he says that the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me in John chapter 1, verse 30. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
Matthew 3.11. So John, using the Word of God and his own Word as a prophet of God, is testifying to the legitimacy of Jesus Christ. Then you have the declaration affirmed by the Holy Spirit via the dove. Verse 32 states, The Spirit came down from heaven as a dove and remained on, remained on him. Now, the significance of the dove isn't made immediately obvious. Okay, The image of a dove is often associated with Israel. If you have a look in the Old Testament, if you look at Psalm 68, verse 7 to 14, specifically in verse 13, and in Psalm 74, 7419, when it talks about a dove, it's actually talking about Israel. But in some rabbinic traditions, the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And all of them agree that the Messiah had to be a unique bearer of the Holy Spirit, in this case, in the shape of a dove. For example, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 to 4, we read this. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. It's Isaiah talking about him who comes with the Spirit of the Lord. This is what people would have thought of when they saw the Spirit. Well, when John says specifically when the Spirit rests upon him. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. If you'll see that it's familiar is because this is the passage of Scripture that Jesus reads in Luke chapter 4. When he stands up in the synagogue, opens the parcel, says, he reads this passage, rolls up the, the, the scroll, puts it down and says, this day the Scripture has been fulfilled in your eyes. And that's when people tried to throw him off a cliff because he was fulfilling what the Scriptures have told of him. So the Spirit coming down as a dove most probably spoke to all of those who were, who were in the know for want of a better description. Those people who knew the Scriptures, those religious leaders, those, those people who understood what was coming. John the Baptist would have understood it. And they would have understood it when the dove comes down to rest on him, that Jesus is the Messiah, uniquely anointed by the Spirit. Then on top of that, for all present, we have the testimony of God the Father. God Himself speaking His verbal commendation a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine confirmation after confirmation, proof after proof, evidence after evidence that point to the legitimacy of Jesus Christ? I was watching online a, an apologist. There's a TV show. It was called Give Me an Answer. I don't know if you got, it used to be, remember the Australian Christian channel that used to be on? It used to be on pay TV. So I first discovered this TV show, Give Me an Answer. 
And Cliff, Can Cliff Canedle, it's got a very strange name, but he goes to universities and, and he discusses the, legitimac the legitimacy of who God is. And, and he talks about the, the authenticity and the validity and, and why the scriptures can be trusted and, and how people sit there and say, you need to give me 100% proof and then I'll believe. You've got to give me all the evidence. And he's really, he does a really good job and he says, but you never live your life with 100% proof of anything. And he says, it's like going to a, a, like you go to the doctor. How do you know the doctor has given you the right prescription? But you trust him. You don't sit there and question his credentials. You don't ask you, give, can I have your transcript? I didn't see you study at medical school. Therefore, I can't fully trust you. When you give your script to the, to the pharmacist, you sit there and you say, how do you know the pharmacist didn't put poison in there? You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't test that. You don't live 100% like that. You don't trust 100% that the people driving on the road aren't going to go off the road and run you over on the side of the road. And they sit there and say, well, okay. So you don't live your life with 100% proof. None of, you, none of us do. None of us do. And yet here we have, we have the, the confirmation of the Word of God through John the Baptist, God's prophet. Then we have the confirmation of the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit that alights upon him. Then you have God the Father speak to him, speak and say to everybody present, this is my son. This is the one that I'm sending to you. This, it, it speaks to me. When I look at these evidences that are given that reveal Jesus to be who he said he is, it reveals to me the deceitfulness and the fickleness of my own human heart. Because the religious leaders who are present, they would find some way to, to, to explain it away. For the people that were doubting, would say, no, I, I, I choose not to believe. For the seekers in search of hope during a time of oppression, their interest would have been captured. For the curious who were apathetic and wanted to discover what all this talk was all about, would be forced to make a decision, forced to make a choice regarding their circumstances. And this is what I think is really exciting. If you look at who Jesus is to you, if you look in the Scriptures and discover for yourself who, G I've got to stop pointing, who Jesus presents himself to be, then you are left with a choice. It's the choice that Pilate had after he ex talked with Jesus and found out there was nothing wrong with him. And what did Pilate do? Instead of letting him go, he gave, as a symbol in front of everybody, he says, I'm washing my hands of this. I don't want anything to do with that. He had a choice, and his choice was just to back out of it. And I don't want to be rude or anything like this, but it, it was almost like a coward's way out. Okay, this is some way I can, I can so, sort of please all those sides. But even he knew as well. So there are choices, choices laid before us. How Jesus presents himself to you and then what you do with that. That's the testimony, the testimony of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, God's son in whom he is well pleased the spirit that rests upon him, the testimony of John the Baptist. That is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then we need to look at then, how then does that impact you? How does it impact your life? How does it impact how you live and what you choose to do? Because this is what happens with these guys that are there. 
the impact of Jesus' testimony had an effect on those people. See, regardless of what either group thought, whether the religious leaders tried to explain it away, whether the seekers were filled with hope, whether those that are just curious didn't find a definite answer, it does nothing to change the fact that Jesus is who he is. That never changes. He's always the Son of God who takes away the sin of the, wor- the, the sin of the world. He is always preeminent. He is always the one who rules. He is the one whom God the Father proclaimed from the heavens. He is the one that God the Holy Spirit anointed from above. He is the one through God's prophets spoke that he is the Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of the Most High, who has come to redeem, who has come to comfort, who has come to reconcile, who has come to liberate, who has come to heal the broken, and to come to establish a right relationship with God. That never changes, regardless of what you think about it, regardless of what you believe about it. That never changes. So what does such a testimony do? What does occur when Jesus is exalted and lifted up the way he should be. You have a look at this. In John chapter 12, verse 32, when the two disciples heard him, meaning John, say this, what did they do? They followed Jesus. These two disciples of John who are looking around, trying to find out, they heard John's declaration. They saw the Spirit rest upon him. They heard the voice of God. And what did they do? They then followed. In John chapter 12, verse 32, I have already up there. In John chapter 12, verse 32, it says, And I, meaning Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When Jesus is lifted up, people are drawn to him. When you exalt Jesus in your marriage, people are drawn to him. When you exalt Jesus in your parenting, people are drawn to him. When you exalt Jesus in your workplace, people are drawn to him. When you, when you exalt Jesus in your community, people are drawn to him. Because when he is lifted up, he draws people to himself through you. Pastor Roger he was sharing on Friday night with the youth, and he was, he, he, was, he was saying at McDonald's, and what happened was, he was talking, he goes, oh, I'll have like a, a cheeseburger, and you know how they upsell you at, at McDonald's? And he goes, he goes I've, I've learned a way to upsell back. And, and I says, what, what do you mean? And so when people ask him, he goes, I'll just have like a small cheeseburger meal, please. Would you like anything else with that? Heaven? And he's like, Pardon? Uh, well, you asked me, what, would I like anything else with my cheeseburger meal? I'd like heaven. Because I, I, I guess, well, wouldn't you want heaven? Would, would, don't you, and, and then he starts, and he goes, would, don't you think you, you wouldn't? I mean, I know I want heaven when I look around the way the world is today. I know I want heaven. So I, I would like heaven. Would you like heaven too? And, 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 and people are just like, oh, okay. But then he goes, I'll tell you what. And he goes, and he goes look, I'll tell you what. What time do you finish? Four o'clock. I'll come back at four o'clock and I'll give you 10 minutes and I'll tell you how you can get heaven. And he said, and, and, he'll come, and, and he'll show up at 4 o'clock, and he says a few times people have come, and actually he spent 10 minutes just talking to them about how they get to heaven. And then it was like, and, and, and of those 10 minutes, maybe about three or four people have come to know Jesus from that upsell. 
I mean, that's a pretty good upsell, eh? I mean, really, that's a pretty good upsell. But I thought, well, you know, that something, something is, is, that's, you see, the impact that Jesus had on Pastor Roger's life, and, and the, the testimony, of, sorry, the impact Jesus' testimony had on Pastor Roger's life has now then in turn been impactful to other people's lives through Pastor Roger. And so these guys, as, Roger, as Pastor Roger looks to exalt Jesus, what happens? Jesus draws people to himself through him. And, and that's what's been made available here because I want you to focus on this, this idea of, of impact, the impact Jesus' testimony has. These two disciples of John were seekers, and it was when they heard that testimony of Jesus they were drawn to him. Now, here's what's really interesting. When they were following him, when they were following him, you read this. So, when they heard, so when the two disciples heard him, John said this, they followed Jesus, come, he replied, and you will see. Because what happens is, he asks them, when they're following him, where do you live? Where do you live? Jesus responds, not by breaking things down, he just says, come and see. Come and find out. I've shared this before. The way Jesus reaches out to them is not by throwing things at them, not by preaching them, not by proclaiming out like He just says, come and see. You come and find out. Pastor Roger, when he does the upsell, he's not Bible bashing them. He's saying, come and see. If you want to find out, come and see. If you're interested, come and see. If you want to know how to get heaven, come and see. And so these guys follow Jesus and they spend the day with him, it says. They spend the day with him. And in that day, they discover for themselves the beauty of Jesus Christ. They saw the reality of God incarnate. They saw one who was anointed by the Spirit that God acknowledged. They saw that reality demonstrated. It was in them being with Jesus that they discovered the truth about Jesus. Have you noticed in the Scriptures that when the Lord reveals Himself to people, or to most people, that people are forced into making a choice? For example... The rich young ruler in Matthew 19, after he says about, you know, you know, you know the law, you know, be good to your parents, don't kill, don't steal. He says, all of these things I've kept from my youth. And then Jesus challenges him and goes, okay, if you want to be considered, he says, sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And there was a choice made to the rich young ruler because he was wealthy. What does the Scriptures teach? That he walked away sad because he had great wealth. There was a choice he was forced to make. And that choice said, I, I want my wealth more than I want Jesus. You look at Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus confronts him. He's a religious leader. He knows all of this stuff. And Jesus confronts him in verse 10 and says this. He says, you're a teacher in the nation and you don't know these things? You're, you're supposed to know these. You mean you're a teacher? You're the, people, you're the one that people go to to learn about God, to learn how you're accepted by God? You're one of these people, and you don't know these things? And it forces him to make a choice. The Samaritan woman of John chapter 4, and he says, if you know, once again in verse 10, if you know who asks you for a drink, you would have asked, and he'd give you the, he would give you living water. 
in verse 10. Once again, this challenge as she's looking at this idea of acceptance and, and love and, and contentment and sustenance, and, and she's confronted. If, if you knew, if you knew, you'd ask. And what I like is how the impact that Jesus' testimony has on her and what she does afterwards, which we'll discuss later. Or the paralyzed man at Beth, Bethsaida in John 5. And Jesus just says, while well, the paralyzed man's there waiting to get into the water after it's disturbed by the, the angel, Jesus just says, do you want to get well? Just do you want to get well? We are confronted with these choices every day, and the choice starts today for you and I. That when we have seen the beauty of who Jesus is, how that's impacted us now, and the choice we make now, and the choice we, we, we move with each moment, that when we go from this place, that when we fellowship Right after the sermon, we sit down and we think, okay, then the impact of who Jesus is, how then does that impact me? Where then I in turn impact you and draw you closer to Jesus. Because that's what the impact of Jesus' testimony can have. With the testimony of Jesus' beauty that we've been studying over the past several weeks, we've been confronted in like manner with this, like I shared about last week, with this line of decision. And like these two people who, these two disciples who spend time with Jesus, which captures their heart and, and convinces them to point all people to him. Because what do they do? The first one, Andrew. First thing Andrew does is he finds his brother Simon and tells him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And then what does he do? He brings him to Jesus. That's his first thing. He's encountered Jesus and says, we found him. Come and see. Come and find out. Come and discover for yourself. We read of Nathaniel. We, uh, when uh, Philip goes to, to, goes to Nathaniel, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Uh, yeah, the son of, jo the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can any good come from there, Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Um, just so you know, Nazareth, in those days was like a, it was like a forgotten city. It, it wasn't a very important place. It was like to those in Israel, they knew what Nazareth was. To everybody outside of Israel, they didn't even know it existed. It's like um, Chilliwack in Canada. I, I'd never heard of it before. You know Chilliwack? Oh, we, I know someone who knows Chilliwack. But it's like Chilliwack. But it's like you have, I, I, I didn't know. Apparently it's just really cold. I met a guy named Cameron from there in Cape and Ray. He was from Chilliwack. And I said, where's that? And he says, uh, you know where Toronto is? And he goes, yeah, it's nowhere near there. I went, okay. <laughs> All right. But just, just, just little things like that. I met, one, I met one girl from, oh, I don't even remember the name of the town. But it's in Australia. She's an Australian girl. And there are 13 people in her town. Like one, three. 13. I was like, wow. That's like my family's half of that. That's That's amazing. But th that's essentially what Nazareth was like back then. And if anything, Nazareth was viewed, like when you have the, the title in the Gospels that's used, it's usually used in a negative way. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't a title to be looked at and think, oh, okay, this is great. Um, but it was why the disciples, oh, sorry, the Gospel writers, when they spoke about Nazareth, they had to actually add to it this caveat, a town in Galilee. They had to add that. That's in Matthew, Matthew 2.23, Mark 1.9, and Luke 1.26. Uh, very rarely did disciples 
very rarely did the disciples call him Jesus of Nazareth. And those that did either didn't know him or were demons or people trying to throw some type of shade, some type of insult about him. In other words, it was a title and it was a title to in some way dismiss the legitimacy of Jesus. It was in some way to tarnish his testimony as the Messiah. And which I think is really quite amazing. Like even what the Romans did. What did the Romans do? What did they put on, on the cross of Christ? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Why? Because it was considered something negative something to take away, and yet God in His glory, God in His grace, God in His greatness redeems that title. And when you have Paul in Acts chapter 22, verse 8, when Paul is talking about his conversion, these are the words that Paul uses when he says, Who are you, Lord? He goes, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And how Jesus can take something that the world looks at as poor, as broken, as useless, and redeem it to make it look like something miraculous and glorious and God-glorifying. You know what else he's done besides that name? He's done that with your life. He's done that with you. To take you and I who are sinners separated in darkness made us new and put his spirit within us to make us a representation of his greatness and of his love and of his beauty. And that he, like he does with the disciples, can through you impact others with his testimony. I look and I see here a whole bunch of stories of God's testimony of how he has changed you, how he has redeemed you, how he has transformed you. From darkness to light. That is the beauty of his testimony. See, the beauty of Jesus is such that the impact of his testimony can then, through us, impact others. That we'll have something more than just a passport to heaven or, or, a, or a ticket out of hell. No, no, the, the purpose of his coming was as the Lamb of God to take away our sin and to reconcile us sinful humanity back to a right relationship with God the Father, to be considered the sons and daughters of the Most High God, to testify and show the impact of the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the beauty of His light and how His light is our life and the life to all men, the beauty of His grace, and the fullness of that grace, the, the beauty of even though the law condemns how grace has set us free, how grace has liberated us. See, the beauty of Jesus Christ is that through him, we come to know what grace and truth really is, who makes us known to God as his child and makes God known to us as his father. See, this is the beauty of his testimony and his impact that I pray will grasp our hearts and that it would be more than just information to have, more than just information to accumulate, but rather that it would be a testimony that impacts and transforms from how we parent to how we run our marriage to how we conduct ourselves in our work that when people look at you, 
they might see the opportunity to come and see the impact Jesus' testimony have made in your life. And that's the challenge that we leave with today. May the beauty of Jesus be that reality for each of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the beauty that he holds, the beauty of his testimony of being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the beauty of your impact, how you came, died, rose again, so that you might bring us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, the beauty of your Spirit whom indwells us and has sealed us for all eternity, the beauty of being called your child. And I pray for each person here that for each heart might be open to what you are doing, that each heart might be impacted in such a way that we would be like Philip to go out and and show other people the beauty of who you are to them through what we say, through what we do, through how we live. Father, I pray for you to move in our lives, in our lives as a church and in our lives as individuals so that we can truly shine forth the greatness of who you are for your glory. So, Father, I pray now that you will help us. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us to be open to your moving. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, Lord, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name. Amen.